1: Live in the Nasdaq market side overlooking New York City's Times Square, this is Fast Money. I'm Melissa Lee. Tonight's trader lineup, Tim Seymour, Karen Feinerman, Bono and Eisen, and Jeff Mills tonight on Fast assessing the damage the tech trade taking on the chin again today the fall fast and furious we are picking through the rubble straight ahead plus a metal mystery gold barely budging in the recent market volatility so what gives the one chart that could explain it all and later pullback plays for stocks down big that our traders say are beaten down buys we start off with an earnings alert on microsoft shares down about five percent following its fiscal second quarter report our own julia borson joins us now with the latest julia
2: Yeah, those Microsoft shares sinking despite the fact that the company beat expectations on the top and bottom line with revenues growing 20% to $51.7 billion. The estimates were $50.9 billion, also growing earnings by 21% to $2.48. That's 17 cents better than the analysts' consensus. But the stock, which has far outperformed. The broader market is down now nearly 5%. Now, even including this after-hours decline, Microsoft is still up about 19% over the past 12 months. But the decline right now seems to be because the company didn't show the kind of beat that many analysts had been hoping for. Now, 93% of analysts did have a buy rating going into earnings. Microsoft's Azure cloud division reported 46% growth. Now that's a hair ahead of the street account consensus, but Wedbush analyst Dan Ives says it was actually lower than some bullish whisper numbers that were looking for 48% growth. Dan Ives telling us, quote, we would be buyers on this modest sell-off as we believe the underlying metrics and implied growth trajectory into the rest of 2022 is strong for Microsoft. They beat on the Azure and this is an overreaction in a white knuckle tech tape. So Jeffrey's analyst Brent Thill, he said of the sell-off that the fact that Microsoft's beat wasn't in that all important Azure cloud division raised some concerns that the guidance could be more conservative than what analysts are looking for. And we do expect Microsoft to provide some guidance on its earnings call. And that starts up at 5.30 p.m. Eastern. Melissa.
1: Julia, keep us posted. Thank you. And of course, we'll bring you any of the headlines that cross from the 5.30 p.m. conference call. Um, This is just, it wasn't good enough. This is sort of the story of the markets, Karen, uh, where high expectations going in and even a beat on Azure by 1%, it wasn't enough. I think 1% isn't
3: considered a beat anymore. I mean, just imagine where the stock would have traded if it were back at 340 or whatever. I think that would be very disappointing. However, it's not there. It's 288 or something going into the print. But it doesn't really matter. Um, as Julia said, I do think the guidance is what matter. The beat on earnings doesn't matter at all. And this, you know, if there is slowing growth, then, you know, what is the right multiple? It still has a three handle. It's in the 30s. Should it? I think it should. I am long, but uh, it doesn't really matter what I think. It's sort of, you know, is this going to freak the market out? I don't know. I hope not. I think that going into earnings, tech stocks have all been down. And I think, you know, I thought that set up decently for today. But we'll see But what they say in the call, what they say about guidance is really important. And um I just want to counter that with Texas Instruments, which had cited strong industrial, strong automotive, and that stock last I checked was trading up uh, in the aftermarket.
1: Yeah, that was a beat and a raise on guidance. And, And granted, things could really turn around in, you know, 30 minutes time if Microsoft comes out with stellar guidance. Bonwin. The technical setup going into the quarter was very interesting in today's session in terms of breaching the 200-day moving average on the stock. What, what do you make of the quarter in the context of how far the stock is down from its 52-week high, which is about 17.5% or so?
4: I think the downward pressure is um, very indicative of what we've seen in the overall tech space. Um, I was quite surprised in terms of the reaction in, in uh, post-market trading after they did beat pretty handily granted there are going to be some people that are going to part and parcel in terms of like the the rate of growth and acceleration particularly in that cloud space but i think we're really splitting hairs there uh, i look forward to to hearing uh, more details in terms of of guidance now they, they don't typically give an overall guidance it's on a segmented basis so you will have a chance to kind of drill in with more detail and, and make a um make a uh, decision there. In terms of your question around technical trading, there was support previously around that 280 level and they had pressed that in our last sell-off on quite a bit of volume and we had held. We've traded through that in aftermarket trading and so I do wanna see uh, how we hold up there because the, the next you know, bottom that I see in terms of support level is around that 240, 250 level. So you know I expect there to be some support between here and there.
1: Julia said to Dan Ives over, over at Wedbush, you said you, you would buy this dip. Are there dips in tech, Tim, that you want to buy? I mean, can you say Microsoft is a buy here down 5% because a quarter still look good when the context of the market is it, it doesn't matter. It, we are going to press the stocks in technology, particularly with valuations, whom, which many people might think are too high given the context.
5: So I, I don't spend a disproportionate amount of time, and maybe that's the word on, on technicals, because I just don't, you know, it's a guidepost. But but I think with Microsoft, look, you have to remember that the intraday low yesterday was 276. Uh, we pushed through there. Uh, granted, yes, we could change on a 3Q guide that's uh, very different than the expectation. But um, yes, when you think about Microsoft, of all the mega cap tech stocks possibly, maybe the best five-year chart, maybe the most consistent re-rating in a company that hadn't traded through the 200-day to the downside. Really, you know, back until early 2019, if I can remove the two uh, kind of shocks to the system, one which was COVID and one which is the, the Fed December 2018 moment. And I, I just, that worries me about where do you come in and buy it? And and you said it, we've all said it. That was a great chart looking at uh, a forward PE. Look, on a forward PE basis, Microsoft is actually quite interesting. It's 26 times uh, the quality of the earnings growth. It deserves a premium to its group. It's trading at at a a slight premium on EV to free cash flow, which it should. Again, think of the franchise here and, and what excites me about Microsoft longer term and is why investors have it on a short list, no matter who they are, they should is because if you think about what's going on with the breadth of the product growth and and the tier one workloads, the gross margin in terms of the economies of scale for Microsoft is as good as any company in tech, especially in the mega cap space. So um, I I worry about the market we're in. Uh, It's also concerning that Q2 is is really a seasonally strong quarter for them. So um, that was a a, a great print, uh, largely. And we still don't really know where they're going to be on the third quarter. But, uh, you know, vis-a-vis all the others, uh, it's hard to believe you're going to get an enormous guide on 3Q. And I think it's, it's time to wait a bit.
1: Yeah. Um, Jeff, would you wait? Would you, would you add to a position?
6: So listen, I think you can only be so precise about these things, right? So if you're a long-term holder, I think you continue to add on the way down. I think this is the type of tech stock that's actually going to work really well once we get past this market environment. But look, I think this is indicative of exactly the type of market we're in. Fundamentals are not deteriorating, but there is a recalibration of market psychology around valuations, and that's exactly what we're seeing here. Uh, our friend Carter Worth put out a note either last night or this morning, talking about earnings, Microsoft specifically, and he used the word asymmetrical, and I think that's exactly what we're dealing with. What can these companies say to cause a big reversal in trend versus what can they say to sort of perpetuate the move lower that we're seeing? And I think the bar is very high, and I think the Microsoft print Uh, really confirms that. Look, small beats in line, not good enough at this point. Any type of perceived weakness, uh, you're going to get punished. Any type of actual weakness, uh, see Netflix as an example, you're going to get absolutely killed. And that's just what we're dealing with right now. But to your point, Mel, I think these are the kind of stocks that you need to start looking for as we eventually get past this type of market where tech is being thrown out. Because I think ultimately this year, we are going to get past that. We've talked about what kind of tech do you want to own in 2022 it's growth at a reasonable price it's profitability it's not low quality so that is microsoft they're returning money to shareholders cloud is growing the stock was just vulnerable at you know 40 50% above its 200 day 35 times forward earnings fundamentals continue to be really strong. I like the Activision play right now, um, but I do think you might have some room to the downside. I I said before the print, maybe five to 10% lower. That gets you to about the average five-year valuation. We're already down 5%, so maybe a little bit more to go.
1: All right, 20 minutes until the conference call gets underway, and we'll see about guidance then. In the meantime, our next guest sees Microsoft as a bright spot in technology, a group he is underweighting right now. Adam Parker is the CEO of Trivariate Research. He was a chief U.S. equity strategist at Morgan Stanley, of course, as you all know. Adam, welcome back to the show. Great to see you. Um, Great to see you. So what do you make of all this market action? I mean, The volatility has been extreme over the past couple of days, and the comebacks have been extreme as well.
7: Look, I mean, to me, this is just a classic growth scare. I think maybe our, you know, I got a few gray hairs in my head, so I've seen this many times. I think it's our 12th kind of 10% plus sell-off in equity since the financial crisis. So, um, you know, I think you have to look at what's, what's causing it. I think clearly the beginning of it was a perception change about rates. And now I think you just have a growth scare. People are worried that maybe earnings won't be higher, you know, next year than this year. I think that's pretty common i think what 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 was just said by jeff i totally agree with which is we we studied what works following growth stock sell-offs and it's positive free cash flow and margin expansion so businesses that do have that tend to outperform and it's the profitless software that high multiples that can probably still go lower and will Adam, it's Tim. So what, what
5: changed for you in, in the last month, month and a half in, in terms of what's the multiple you're willing to pay? And I'm not suggesting that you changed um, and maybe, in fact, you've been more cautious. You've certainly come on here and, and generally been bullish and you've been bullish over your career. So what is it investors should take? Was it that Fed turned on a dime? Because ultimately we were willing to pay 35 times for Microsoft
7: uh, two months ago. Yeah, look, I mean, I think ultimately I always think about U.S. equities as... You know, I get some kind of two to 3% dividend plus buyback, you know, 35 of the 500 companies in the S&P get kicked out every year and 35 replace them. The replacement ones grow way faster than the ones that get kicked out. So I get another one to 2% from that. And then I get some sort of organic 3% growth. So I view it as like an 8% kind of total return algorithm that looks better than every other asset class. And generally you're right, basically since the financial crisis, I've liked equities. I think what causes you to get bearish should be that you're worried earnings will decline. You're worried that there's a lot of management arrogance gone awry, you know, too much inventory, too much capital spending, too much hiring, too much fancy new corporate headquarters. And in aggregate, I don't see a ton of that right now. Right. So I I think people are just worried about inflation causing earnings declines. And I don't think that's the case. My own personal opinion is the Fed will not act anywhere near as much as people think. So, I don't think there's going to be whatever the big houses have four hikes this year and four next year. I'll take the under and I'll take the under in a big way. It's interesting today. IMF comes out with a GDP forecast cut, US and China. VIX is at a one year high. There's a risk off trade. Uh, financial conditions are the tightest they've been in a year. You really think the Fed's going to raise eight times in two years on that? So, all it'll take for reversal is a reversal is a directionally dovish comment. And then you'll get a NASDAQ up 4% debt, right? I mean, that's what it feels like to me anyway.
1: So basically, Adam, you're saying that it that the Fed will actually back away from from the path a little bit based on a market sell-off. So the Fed will be influenced by what the market is doing if we sell off hard yeah. enough.
7: Yeah, for sure. I don't think anyone would disagree yeah. with that. I, I and I certainly don't think that they're dumb. So I don't think they're trying to cause a recession on purpose. So if if you get a slowing GDP and and you get some you know move lower in in you know inflationary pressure. Why would they raise a bunch of times? Look, I still think there's tons of stuff you can long and shorten this tape, and that's the part that's exciting. You know, when I did my outlook a couple of weeks ago, we identified a bunch of things we like, and I still like them. You know, obviously our biggest call last year, you know, was energy, was our top pick, and it is again this year. Um, I just see huge dislocations there, and I like energy a lot, as, as you know, with demand supply and balances. So I think investors should be looking at oil-sensitive names. and You know, I, I still – I think that's the case you know we've been underweight tech a little bit worried about the profitless businesses we pitched bill dot uh, com as a short a couple of weeks ago but that's microcosm ceridian and others they just they trade at huge multiples and have negative free cash flow with accelerating revenue that's not the right you know cocktail at this you know bar so to speak so there's definitely things right. to buy and stuff. yeah um
1: okay. i want to ask you about microsoft because you didn't mention it in the lead in terms of it being a bright spot for you in a, in a sector that you are underweight do you look at microsoft right. though in names of its ilk that are quality names in that they have the free cash flow they have the margin um, ability yeah. to you know maintain margins etc do you think that these names still get re-rated in this market environment well, or do you think well, that these I, pullbacks are blips
7: i think in the broader you know 6 12 18 months they're, they're going to all be buying opportunities for these kind of names. you know we pitched one with salesforce.com both, I use both Microsoft and Salesforce in my business. What I'll tell you is they have pricing power, right? I do all my compute and store on Azure. I'm in that Microsoft Curitio. I use Teams, I use Office. I can't punch what I Can they raise pricing on me 7% per year? Yeah, they can, okay? So I think when you look at those businesses, they are gonna trade at premium multiples and on cash flows and earnings as you look forward. And and they have lots of ways and levers to pull. So are they gonna be better stocks than average over any meaningful period of time? Of course, yeah.
1: All right, very Peter Lynch of you. Adam, always good to speak with you, thank you.
7: Yeah, good to see you guys, have a good one.
1: Adam Parker of Trivariate. Um Bonwin, how are you feeling about, about Microsoft? How are you feeling about the markets here? Do you think we are in for a re-rating of technology?
4: I think we've already seen a re-rating of technology. So uh, yes, I mean, certainly. With that said, I mean, I, I still have a hard time having a fundamentally bullish thesis and being overly bearish on tech. And I've said it time and time again, I think that the overvalued negative free cash flow um, names that are priced on a multiple of revenue, I do think that those are going to suffer. At the end of the day though, I do think technology, it rings true in every pocket of every industry and ultimately there is a bottom there. Um, And so yes, I I think we have seen re-rating, it's a multiple that you're willing to pay for it, but uh, fundamentally I think uh, the two go hand in hand.
1: All right. Check out our chart of the day here. Gold hardly moving despite the recent market volatility. Um, Karen, you actually flagged this. It's a head scratcher.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: I mean, I never quite got gold, but I think that if this isn't the time for the gold story to really work, which is we have inflation, we have uncertainty, we have commodity price, well, that's tied to inflation, but and, and we have Bitcoin trading down. So, to the extent that Bitcoin was taking away gold as a, you know, inflation hedge or a fiat currency hedge or whatever, you would think all those things tied together, gold should really be working now. It's moved a little, but it, I mean, what else could you want if you're a gold bug? So, I don't know. I I still don't get it.
1: Jeff, you have a theory. You got a chart at the very least. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I, I do.
6: And I'll, I'll First, I'll just start by saying I'm a little bit biased here. We don't hold gold. We, we really never do. I don't think it's the best inflation hedge. I think the correlation to inflation is, is inconsistent at best in the near term. But I think maybe the lackluster move in gold price is actually telling us something. I think maybe other assets are telling us the same thing. And that's that inflation is not getting away from us, number one. So the dollar is stable. You've had various commodities already peak. Long-term inflation expectations are somewhere around 2%. And then to your point, the chart. So real interest rates are rising. So in this chart, that's represented by falling tips prices. So prices and yields move in opposite directions. So real rates are typically negatively correlated with prices in gold because real rates... As they rise, the opportunity cost of, uh, of owning gold goes up because they're not giving you anything. They're not yielding anything. So I think that's part of the story right now is that investors are finally seeing real rates rise. They're somewhat of an alternative. So I think in a lot of ways, that is kind of a classic
1: sign of a weight on gold prices. All right. Coming up, pullback plays. Stocks making some big swings this week. So which names are so bad they're good, the four stocks on our watch list. But first, we're all over the after hours action. Texas Instruments shares are jumping after earnings. We'll break down the results next. Do not go anywhere. Fast money's back in two. Welcome back to Fast Money. We've got an earnings alert on Texas Instruments. Shares popping about 3% after the company reported earnings. Now 3%. Frank Collin has the numbers. Frank.
9: Hey there, Melissa. Yeah, a little bit of a rollercoaster ride for Texas Instruments. As you said, shares up 3% right now, uh, up and down after its report, following beats on the top and the bottom line, EPS 30 cents above estimates, and some really strong Q1 guidance. You look at the numbers, its core business, of course, is chips. That's called the analog division. That's all revenues increased by 20% on strong demand during the global chip shortage. Other segments also posting growth, leading to free cash flow, Uh, to increase by 11% this quarter. CEO Rich Templeton said the company will continue to invest in CapEx, spending more than four times what it did in uh, in 2020 in 2021. Spoke to Raymond James earlier. They said that CapEx guidance, that's what investors are really keying on in this report as the company and many other chip makers faced outsized demand for their chips. And right now, when you're looking at text instruments, one thing that's keeping that stock back up, again, we mentioned that roller coaster ride, is that the company said it wants to actually increase inventory. The number they're targeting is 190 days of inventory, but, not, but saying that's not a hard and fast number. The idea is just to be prepared and meet its customer demand. Back over to you.
1: All right, Frank, thank you. Frank Holland uh, with the latest on TXN. What a different reaction in the aftermarket tim to this quarter
5: well it, it is and it's it's interesting because to me i actually think texan has the bigger valuation issue even though uh, in nominal terms it's significantly reduced but again we're, we're talking about a very different business and and I, I worry about peak cycle for them and 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 also you think about uh, the concern on pull forward for microsoft I, I i don't think as much and i think this move to the cloud both on the enterprise uh, continues but uh, you know again they're they're roughly 40 percent above the, the the cycle trend line in terms of where demand has been over the last couple quarters I don't think that's sustainable and look inventory which has been a problem might also be a problem going forward um, with this stable backdrop for for inventory and again um, adequate lead times etc so uh, you know 22 23 times forward um, not a lot to get excited about not a high multiple tech stock in this environment um, but one relative to itself I, that free cash flow number is good, but the CapEx concerns me. And I think you're going to be less than a 5% free cash flow yield on this stock, which I, I don't like.
1: Relative to chip peers, though, it may appear to be value, Karen. And that seems to be the rotation even within subsectors that we have been seeing. I mean, if you take a look at Intel versus NVIDIA and declines it, uh, NVIDIA has suffered versus Intel. I mean, they're much starker. Um, so it seems to be gripping subsectors as well the search for a lower valuation right
3: i mean i guess it depends on who you hang out with who your friends are right but <laughs> i agree with everything tim said i think that twenty two three valuation for texan is more expensive than a you know let's say high twenties or thirty For Microsoft, when you think about the margins of the Microsoft business, you think about the recurring revenue, you think about that locked-in revenue, you know, as Adam Parker said, he's going to pay that increase every year. So it's a very different business. And uh, I mean, good that it's trading up. It had, I think it peaked at, I don't know, a little over 200 or so. Um, But I'd rather, you didn't ask, but I'd rather uh, be in Microsoft, actually.
1: I'll let that go, because you're you. That's two days in a row for Karen.
0: Thank
1: you. I know, I know, but that's fine by me. Um, Texan, by the way, Into was up 6%. <laughs> we'll see if it holds on to these gains uh, as we progress. So we are just getting started here on Fast Money. Here's what's coming up next.
0: Pullback plays. Four names looking so bad, they're good. The traders lay out their beaten down buys. Plus, jackpot. One casino operator surging on a buyout offer. Should you bet on Bally's? You're watching Fast Money, live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. We're back right after this.
8: What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals specialized across asset classes but united in collaboration our teams provide global and local expertise our investments shape tomorrow today pursue your
10: tomorrow with pgim a leading global asset manager this podcast is supported by fedex dear small and medium businesses no one wants happy customers more than you do
1: Welcome back to past money. It's been a dismal start to the year for the markets. The S&P 500 down more than 8% year today. And yep, it is only January. Check out some of these massive losses in names like Moderna, Netflix, Etsy, NVIDIA, Twitter, and more. So we thought this might be a good time to go dumpster diving. One person's trash could be another's treasure. Traders have each come up with one name that's looking so good it's so excuse me so bad it's good I almost broke my own rule Uh, Jeff we tasked you with this and you came up with not one but 10 names (laughs) there's so much to die for these days
6: yeah if that says anything about this market I don't think it's a good thing but I'll hit you with two really quick one is really dumpster diving the other one not so much just a little bit of a pullback in my view, but first is Nike. So I just like the price action there. It's down 20%. It largely filled that gap from last July. And I flag 140 as a key level. I like the fact that it bounced off that. Uh, And I think most importantly about Nike, it has pricing power. And and that's really critical in this market. And, And the other one, which is more kind of jaw dropping just because of the price move is Boston beer. Uh, you know, Sam, I think, is down somewhere near 70 percent. Uh, they had operational issues, they, they overestimated truly, uh, they, they overbought inventory, they had all sorts of issues, the stock got crushed but I still think that they're in a good business. The craft beer market is growing. Uh, white claw, claw and truly make up 70% uh, of the hard seltzer market and, and they're growing more quickly and the valuation is better than a company like Constellation. Not to throw Constellation under the bus, but just to make the point that I do think Sam has some room to the upside here after such a big drawdown.
1: That's like a would you rather in there. Um, snuck right in there, Tim. But Constellation versus Sam, which would you take, Tim?
5: So you, you did ask me, and I am Long Constellation, so easy answer. I, and, and it, you know, by the way, I, I know Jeff's a cool guy. We all know that. Um, but, you know, the, the first hard <laughs> seltzer I drink um, will, will, sorry, the next <laughs> one I drink will be the first, and it will certainly be the last. And, and I think you have a dynamic here where I just think that the market overestimated the growth they were seeing in this segment. It's not what Jeff was saying, by the way. I don't think he likes uh, the hard seltzers either. But, but I, I just, you know, we got to a it. place with this stock. It, maybe I do, <laughs> of course, maybe as I we do. like to say, with, with all due respect, as we also say. But I, I think it's a case where um, valuation on the stock is still expensive relative to the growth. Constellation has done some great spinoffs. Uh, they've consolidated and they've actually grown market share in a segment that is under some pressure. So uh, prefer
1: Constellation. All right, Karen, what's your pick?
3: Between, oh, my pick? Okay. Yeah. I, I don't even like calling it dumpster diving because I don't view it that way. It's a diamond <laughs> in the dumpster, I guess, if you need to call it that. Mine is JP Morgan, right? So the stock is down from the peak, I don't know, 14 or so percent. It's not like it had a frothy multiple and things weren't going well, so that they just, you know, really hit it hard. And so it's the valuation here I really like. Of course, I like Jamie Dimon, but that's not really part of it. The other part is, they're going to be buying back their own stock, plus they have a dividend. So I think right here, this is
1: one that I, I, if I d- owned none, I would buy it right here, which I did. I was going to say, and Jamie Dimon blew you a kiss on national TV. That's got to factor so in. it. I've watched that 68 <laughs> times, yeah, or 75 times. I don't know how many. Maybe 175. <laughs> Who's counting, though? Um, Probably. Jeff Mills. Okay. <laughs> Jeff Mills, do you like uh, J.P. Morgan here?
6: Yeah, especially after the sell off. And we've talked about the bank trade a number of times. And for me, it's sort of a rent it, not own it for the entire year sort of situation. But I do feel like after the move lower, there's a lot of value there, Um, certainly a very quality name. And I think investors are going to continue to price in interest rate hikes until all of a sudden they don't. But until until that actually happens, I think you're going to want to own the banks. uh, And
4: J.P. Morgan is as good as any.
1: Bonwin, what's your pick?
4: Uh, I think this lines up squarely in terms of um, in terms of, of buying high quality names in a sell off, particularly when you've had a, you know a bit of a pullback. I think this is like one one and a half times price to book. So like uh, previous employer, I, I definitely am a fan. In terms of uh, my jewel at the bottom of the of the dumpster, I think I actually went to the landfill for this one. Uh, is Zoom, and I expect to be in the minority here, but, <laughs> but after double-topping at, at $400, I mean, this thing has been down and to the right to about 140, 150, and, and the knock around these names was that they weren't making money, they were expending cash, the, the, the valuation was inflated. None of these things are applicable to Zoom. Um, so you know, I think here I, I, I'm sure I got at least half of it right. I picked probably the dirtiest, dustiest name, and I and I think you know all of the negative downside is priced in at this point.
1: Um, Karen, do you think Bonowin just picked up a lump of I don't know what you want to call it, or do you like his pick? <laughs> I,
3: you know, I looked at Zoom recently and DocuSign, obviously those those pandemic uh, darlings. And I think, OK, it's a lot, lot cheaper. It's not a super crazy price. But I come back to again and again the idea that the pendulum evaluation valuation swings and it doesn't stop at fair value and it goes right past it. And I think that it will go right past Zoom also. So I don't know. I wouldn't short it. That's for sure. But no, I wouldn't. I wouldn't buy it. All right. Um, Tim, what is your pick?
5: It's Amazon. And, and and again, if you think about darlings from COVID and the fact that the matter is that the e-commerce world was only accelerated and punctuated, et cetera, and that they are so far ahead of everyone else with their AWS growth. And, and yet, if you look at this stock to where it was really from really just where it, it it went up to in the early days of COVID. So I'm not even talking about where it settled in. But you know, effectively, you've annualized it at about 13 percent in Amazon even through this after this 30 percent pullback. The stock's not expensive relative to its uh, I think it's a company that has the ability to generate free cash flow when they want to. I'm still not sure I want that from Amazon right now. But look, this is, this is the premier name. This is the premier internet name. It's the premier e-commerce name. Uh, it's many things. And it's obviously competing in cloud. And the same reason why I think we give Microsoft the benefit of the doubt. So Amazon for sure. And the, the multiple I, I know in this environment is tough. But this is Amazon.
1: All right, coming up, booming bally is the casino operator surging on a buyout offer. Should you bet on this trade? We are breaking it down next, plus AMC's debt deal, potential when The company reportedly looking to refi billions of dollars on its books. What that move could mean for investors. Back right after this.
0: Get your trades to go with the Fast Money Podcast. Catch us anytime, anywhere. Follow today on your favorite podcasting app. We're back right after this.
1: Welcome back to Fast Money. Bally is topping the tape today in its best gain since November of 2020. The casino operator up big after a buyout offer from hedge fund Standard General. Let's get to Contessa Brewer, who is at Standard General's Midtown Manhattan offices for more. Contessa. Melissa,
8: I just sat down with the founder and chief investment officer, Sue Kim, who also happens to be chairman of the board of Bally's. And I asked him whether he's making the bid because he worries about another company coming in and snapping up shares at this price. That, uh, those yesterday were off 60% from their 52-week highs, by the way.
9: It is possible that effectively now we're in play. So, so um, I think that, look, it's a, you know, we don't want to sell, but it's a risk sort of worth taking. We want to buy, and we disagree with the market. We're willing to put our money where our mouth is, and, and we're excited for the business.
8: Kim told me he thinks Bally's is undervalued with investors describing absolutely nothing for its interactive business, and he wants to own it and delist it. The $38 per share offer, though may be a tough pill to swallow. GameSys shareholders got Bally's stock at 66 bucks when that deal closed in October, and GameSys founder Noel Hayden owns nearly 10% of Bally's shares. Kim says, Two worst case scenarios here. One, the board and the shareholders refuse to engage with him and the stock price plummets. Or another company comes in and makes an offer so good even Kim can't refuse it and he says then he wouldn't own the company he says he believes in. Melissa? It's
1: almost confusing, Contessa, when he says he and they and dealing with the board because he's on the board, he's the chairman of the board, he's the founder of the Very confusing there. But back to the valuation in terms of the gaming business, this is a problem that a lot of the casino operators face, that the gaming side of the business isn't getting much in terms of the valuation of the stock. That's
8: right. And in fact, if you look at that $38 share that Kim has made an offer for, for Bally's. That is exactly what Jeffries ascribes to the enterprise value of this company. And then another $16 for the interactive and for the future of this digital business come to the light. But like many companies right now, they're just not getting any of their value off of the sports betting, eye gaming, the digital potential for these
1: companies. All right. Contessa, thank you. Contessa Brewer. Mm-hmm. Karen, I'll go to you on, on this. I think that the dynamics mm-hmm. of this is fascinating with this guy being the founder of the hedge fund. who he wants to buy Bally's where he is the chairman mm-hmm. of the board.
3: Yes. So he'll have to recuse himself a, a, a board committee, not including him. will look at this offer. But I look at this. I think he's trying to steal it legally. I mean, if you look at his letter. He's saying, we pr- we're giving you a compelling uh, compelling price to shareholders. I, I find that kind of ridiculous, compelling. You mean where it was two Thursdays ago? That seems, <laughs> I don't know, I-, I-, I don't really get that. And they're also offering an immediate, right? So they want to do this deal quick before somebody else can come in. So I think uh, Contessa's point about GameSys getting stock at a much higher valuation, and now he's doing him a giant favor of buying it back at 38. I mean, come on. It's not illegal, but he is trying to steal it.
1: Yeah, this notion, and Jeff, I asked you this because I know you're in in some of the online sports betting gaming sort of stocks, um, is a valuation issue of whether or not these stocks are getting credit for some of their iGaming business.
6: Yeah, I don't think that they necessarily are, and I think it's an interesting comparison, actually. So if you look at Bally's trading at 18 times right now, but then you compare that to a stock like Penn, uh, where it's trading at 18 times now after it's just been absolutely pummeled. And to your point, whether it's DraftKings or Penn, you know, stocks have had a really difficult time, they've been extremely volatile, uh, and they're getting put in this bucket of speculation in this market, which I understand. But I think, you know, longer term, there is some value there. But in thinking about where I would want to be today, I think there's a lot more value in a company like Penn, for example, when comparing that to both a Bally's or a DraftKings. I think it splits, it splits the middle nicely. You know, still positive cash flow, still profitable. There is that big upside from the online sports betting and other things. But this market wants profitability. It wants cash flow. It wants reasonable valuation. I think you can find all those things in Penn right now.
1: All right. Coming up, happy meal, happy Musk. The Tesla CEO calling on McDonald's to get in on the crypto craze. The tweet that got us talking tonight. But first, Robinhood's big promise. The company just out with a new note to investors. We've got the numbers right after this. Welcome back. All week long here on Fast Money, we're taking a look at the retail revolution one year later. Friday, marking one year since Robinhood restricted trades on a handful of popular retail stocks, sending shockwaves across the market. Just moments ago, Robinhood put out a statement detailing the steps it is taking to never let it happen again. Robinhood says it now has a net capital position of $2.7 billion. That, it says, is 25 times what is required by the SEC and roughly the same size as Merrill Lynch's reserves. The company also details ways it has fortified its technology to cope with increased volatility, doubled its customer service support team, the company making improvements over the past year. But the stock, not so much. It is down more than 60 percent since then. Tim, you are an owner. What do you see in this?
5: Well, I'm, I'm, I'm not an owner. I have owned oh, options and apologies. I have played around in this stock in the last It's okay. And look, my my argument was that I I see a very sticky client base that despite the frustrations of a year ago or so, I I think you've got uh, a lot of the same group of of very, very loyal and a demographic that's highly valuable that a lot of the other both you know, traditional and fintech banks and brokers want a piece of. Having said that, um, what's the moat around their business? I think that's the big question. Uh, the profitability, especially in a world where even during you know a much stronger crypto and blockchain market than this, um, they really saw decelerating revenue. So um, I, I think this is a uh, a statement to, to try to again reassure investors, but reinsure uh, the customer base that the company's prepared and has has learned to to deal with the dynamics that were look dislocation in the market that at that day a lot of people were caught off sides on but look notable um how they froze people out of markets that they wanted to trade and that's not something a lot of people are going to forget
1: yeah let's turn out to amc it is reportedly looking to refinance uh, a lot of it de- its debt new reports today that the theater ch- theater chain is looking to restructure more than five billion dollars in debt on its balance sheet some of that due starting next year here to break down what this could mean for the company Uh, is chris white ceo of bond click chris great to have you with us i'm sure a lot of companies out there are going to be watching this very carefully a lot of companies borrow their way through tough times are paying you know nosebleed interest rates and now amc is doing it what are they looking for what how important could this deal be
11: i think this deal is huge for setting a benchmark in the marketplace truly uh, borrowing conditions are going to change in 2022 i think everyone's anticipating that and it's a much different environment than what uh companies like AMC have seen over the past two years where they've had Fed support and low rates. But now the Fed's focused on uh, really stamping down inflation. And I think what we're looking for here is is what's the new normal in terms of a below investment grade company being able to access debt capital.
3: Hey, it's Karen. Thanks for being on. So when you look at their debt, they've got a lot to choose from, right? And they've got a lot of uh, high coupon debt. Are they just going to start with the highest? Can they call that or how what, what's the strategy here?
11: Actually, you know, Karen, I, I was when we took a little a deeper look at this on using our, you know, sort of the data that we have at BondClick. I was actually quite surprised, you know, about five point two billion is is due to mature in uh, 2026. So it might have you and really there's about a billion that's going to be maturing before then. So it kind of have you asking why try to refinance now and actually think that that shows that maybe what AMC is looking at is they're looking at really tough borrowing conditions ahead. So they're trying to get in front of it before everyone else realizes that, you know, the, the, the tune has really changed and that you're going to have to not only borrow at much higher interest rates, but with a longer maturity, which could be could spell disaster for a few of these companies out here.
1: So is that what you think is going to happen, Chris, that there's going to be a very small window for these companies to refinance their debt?
11: Well, I think the most interesting thing going on is, you know, you don't just switch. You don't just turn off a light switch on quantitative easing and all of a sudden the market goes back to normal. There is a ton of cash in the sidelines. And I think what the real question is, is with the, the people who are holding cash, when will they get antsy? because they're going to see a deal that they haven't seen in a while when when AMC does come to market is that deal going to be oversubscribed indicating that AMC can actually borrow money at cheaper interest rates or at lower interest rates or is AMC going to have to offer more incentives to get to get borrowers to come in and and actually give them the capital one thing to keep in mind though you know back in October of 2020 The AMC26, is the second lean paper, was trading at around 15 cents in the dollar. Today, it's at about 94 cents in the dollar. So, you know, while we're worried about AMC, I think things were much more grave uh, looking back uh, a little over uh, two years ago or, yeah, a year and a half ago.
1: Yeah, very different picture. Chris, always great to speak with you. Thank you. Thank you. Chris White of Bond Click. Tim, what do you make? I mean, this Adam Aaron has already said that this was one of his goals of this year to refinance some of its very heavy. I mean, some of these interest rates are like
5: 11%. Well, look, it's a good time to do it. They've they, got a little momentum coming off of Spider-Man and whatnot, and, and, and at least a, a bit of a, a, of a seasonal box office that was was extraordinary. But but again, that chart we just posted, and Chris has nailed this. I mean, like, ha- 27 times debt to EBITDA on a forward basis i mean you know it ultimately comes down to credit metrics not meme stocks and, and i think this is where you know i think the debt markets are going to be a lot more ruthless and and it doesn't mean that there isn't a price for debt and if you look at you know even high yield markets which are are um have been uh, ex, you know record tight in terms of spreads have started to give some ground um if this is about getting in front of it it's 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 very smart, um, but again, it's gonna come down to credit metrics and a company who pre-pandemic, uh, you know, was somewhere around 700, 770 million in the best of markets uh, in terms of in terms of their, their top line. So I think it's something investors really have to watch out for.
1: All right, coming up, Doge on the dollar menu. Elon Musk calling on McDonald's to get in on the crypto craze and he's willing to dig into some fast food live on TV if the company follows through. And speaking of Elon Musk, we, of course, are gearing up for Tesla earnings. That's tomorrow after the bell. That's got options traders plugging in. We'll tell you how they are playing the EV maker when Fast Money returns. Welcome back. We're going to have another busy night tomorrow here on Fast Money. Tesla reports results after the bell. Let's bring in Mike Coe for the setup. Mike.
7: Yeah, so Tesla, like a lot of other stocks that are reporting earnings, is implying a larger than average move. Right now, the options market is implying a move of more than 10% higher or lower. By the end of the week, that's larger than the 7% or so that it's averaged over the last eight quarters. Calls did outpace puts. Options traders got net longer by about $276 million deltas overall. And the Jan 28th weekly, those expire this Friday, 950 calls. Just over 43,000 of those traded for an average price of slightly under $36 each. Buyers of those calls are obviously betting that the news could be good and the stock could finish the week higher.
1: All right, Mike, thank you. Mike Co. Uh, Elon Musk, by the way, is expected to be on a call to lay out the product roadmap. And he might be asked about this tweet today. This is what he tweeted. I will eat a happy meal on TV if at McDonald's accepts Dogecoin. This one has a little bit of everything. Elon Musk, crypto intrigue, a happy meal. Who is the winner here? We asked Tim Seymour, who is the winner? Is it Doge? Is it Elon Musk? Could he get the well, happy I... meals at McDonald's because of publicity? It, it, it... First of all, I mean, I,
5: the the assumption that eating a Happy Meal is some kind of a sacrifice. Look, you bring me a Happy Meal, I'll wolf this down on TV. You don't need to do anything for me. I'll be really, I'll, I'll thank you. Um, I, you know, the question is, you know, why do we keep talking about Dogecoin if there's not something to benefit and gain from in the Musk camp? I, I'll leave it at that. But I, I, I think the good news for McDonald's is McDonald's has become hip again. When you think about their celebrity endorsements, uh, their new menu, their kiosks, their loyalty program, I don't think they need... Uh, uh the lure of doge but uh i'd love to see him eat the happy meal so and i think he'd enjoy it
1: (laughs) um bono you don't strike me as a happy meal kind of guy but this would be a celebrity endorsement of sorts if elon musk ate a happy meal on tv
4: yeah i mean i certainly hope he has better luck than the guy who bought a pizza for like ten thousand bitcoin or whatever it was (laughs) But um, you know, I, I I think the real winner here is the the platforms, right? right? These guys have a platform and they can use it, you know, for their benefit. And I think that's really my takeaway there.
1: All right. Up next, final trades. Final trades, Tim.
5: Selling Jeff's White Claw, but I am buying his Nike.
1: <laughs> Bonawyn. Mm-hmm.
4: In a market where not down is a new up, Merck, M-R-K.
3: Karen. Yeah, J.P. Morgan for fundamental reasons, not sentimental reasons. (laughs) Jack
0: Mills.
6: (laughs) As Tim pointed out, I'm a big hard seltzer guy, so Boston beer.
1: (laughs) All right, thanks for
10: watching Fast Mad Money with Jim Cramer starts now. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses,